Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 154, What's in it for me? Recorded July 27th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Before I go any further, I want to comment on the fact that I just did that whole intro from memory because we didn't have the name of the title of the show or the record date in the thing that I read. And I've, I've mentioned before, I'm totally Ron Burgundy. What I read is what I say. So I deserve a small pat on the back for having done that smoothly. Uh, and yes. of course, I had to break the smoothness uh, pat, by pat, commenting pat. on it because that's what you do in podcasts. See, you do yeah. something cool and instead of letting it go, you have to comment on it. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I hope we cleared that up last week and now we all know what that means. Um, I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and with me, as always, are my stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello, sir, and how are you this fine afternoon? Doing well, thank you. Good. And I would like to welcome the Element Opiite Faithful from near and far. Thank you, Seth, for holding your comment so that they could go in the right order. I saw you physically restrain yourself so as to keep me my Asperger syndrome in check. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we, you, if if you deviate from the norm too much, it's no longer the norm. There you go. So that sounds Which like is why we have, and it's why we have so much fun with you, Mark. Sounds like <laughs> something a jazz singer would say. Um. Two, one wrong note is a mistake. Two wrong notes in succession is jazz. Uh, <laughs> Did I ever mention I was an awesome jazz player? <laughs> that explains a lot. Seth, uh, I, I don't see a neck brace on you. Uh, I, I, I'm guessing you're okay. Have you have you visited the uh, the car rental place yet? Actually, I am in the rental car now. Um, what happened? Just I'll I'll share the story because hey, it's a podcast, right? Um, we were having an event. Uh, we were having a concert, an acoustical night concert Friday night here at the church. You know, we also have it has a setup as an event center, and so my niece who is in culinary school, I thought, hey, this would be a great opportunity to help her out. So I commissioned her, paid her good money to make some desserts, and on my way to pick them up. I stopped at a light and the person behind me, I don't know if they just had too much money or if they were too busy <laughs> playing Angry Birds on their iPhone. But uh I had come to a complete stop and then I hear this and I went, oh, crap. And it smash. And uh, it did in my it tore up my back bumper and I can't even open the back door of my cube. Um, but I do want to report that I did scratch his paint and um it was a Ford Escape because that Escape is tattooed in my bumper. And, uh, yeah, I, I tried dealing with his insurance company and never could get everything. So I finally said, okay, I'll go with my insurance company and you can deal with them exactly. to get my money back. Yeah. So, and there was storms came through here, um, Thursday night. Um, no, Wednesday night and our power was out and I actually spent the night in a motel. And so it was like, powerful storms wind and hell and there were tons of cars so i could not get a car the guy drove up the hertz guy drove up to his shop uh to open it up to rent me a car from one of the returns he had so i just got my rental car today and i dropped my car off in the at the uh autumn the paint and body shop which is they share the same building 
You know, I think well, anybody helps. who drives in a metropolitan area, it's not if, it's when. You're, yeah. you're going yeah. to be in an accident, and it just, it's a fact of life. Yeah, yeah I would I would agree with that, because I know out here in, you know, Nowheresville, southern Canada, uh, the only time I ever hear of anyone really having any accidents is when there's a lot of stupid reasons that pile right. up together, you know, drinking, driving, going too fast, and snow, yeah. and then, <laughs> yeah, instant accident. Years ago, I was in college and I was driving down a a, a dirt a, a dark road. It wasn't a dirt road, but it was a two lane paved road. And the car in front of me was late at night, two two in the morning or something like that. The car that passed me was wildly flashing its lights. And you know, any anybody who's ever seen that knows that it, you know that's a warning. Or if you believe the the internet, it's a, a gang initiation. Um, so I slowed down and. Uh, and, you know, I was looking for an accident or a cop or something. And I, I you know, slowed down for a, a couple of miles, didn't see anything. Thought, ah, I wonder, maybe whatever it was has moved on now. Because, you know, in the rural area, that happens. Livestock crosses the road. So I punched it back up to about 60 and nearly ran into the horse in the middle of the road that they were trying to <laughs> warn me about. I just, I mean, I clipped it with my mirror. It was that close. Um, and had I hit that thing at full speed, neither of us would have would have lived to tell the tale well i'm glad that you might have been good yeah um I, I when i was a kid we came up on the scene of the accident we were the first uh to arrive where uh, a small uh japanese import had hit a large american bovine uh Ooh. it was it was ugly it was ugly there's probably not much left of the small import no uh nor the bovine <laughs> <laughs> it was sad it was laying on the ground with all four legs broken it was sad. Oh man. Oh. But you're doing okay. That's the important thing, right? Yes. Right. Yes. And will this well, we, affect your trip to LinuxCon in any way? Um, you know, not really, because I've, you know, while I am still deeply in debt, I do have enough cushion where I can float the amount of money it'll be till I get my deductible reimbursed. And I'm still going to make my trip to Spiceworks uh, this week. And it's kind of cool because it's going to be mileage on the rental car and not mileage on my little cube, which is <laughs> beginning to show its age. That's because you drive it to Atlanta for the weekend. <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, it's what um, it's about four years almost and only 140,000 miles. I'm actually down oh, from yeah. my historical average. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Could yeah. be worse. Uh, just a personal note, I have a, li a large audience here, so I, I'm going to abuse you. Um, lately, I have taken an interest in the timeshare concept. I'm, I'm not necessarily interested in buying one. I'm just interested in information on them. And you, you do you search on the Internet, there's two factions. There's the people who say it's the wonder most wonderful thing ever. They're probably work for timeshare people. And then there's people who say it was terrible, I'm trapped in it, the fees keep going up. I'm curious... If any of the you know thousands of listeners we have have timeshares, if you do, what do you think about them? I'm not going to do a show on it or anything like that. This is just for, for my own personal edification. So if you own a timeshare, if you had a good or a bad experience with it, I, I don't want to hear hearsay. I don't want to hear about your cousin or your uncle or your next door neighbor. I want I want you. Um, and just let me know. So that's uh, just a little something I'm going to throw out there to uh, abuse the power of the microphone. Well, see, you are you abuser, you. Yes. Grr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, 
I, I see here life lessons for a teenage boy, Chris. I uh, I don't know what that's about, but uh, I will follow uh, lead into that with today. Uh, this week we had the birthday party for my ten year old daughter, and I had uh, uh, eleven uh, nine teenage uh, nine preteen. They were all ten years or eleven years old uh, in my house on Friday night, and that was as close to a nightmare as I've ever come to. Uh, no, today's lessons for my teenage boy was lessons on money. Um, we sat down and he's, he's been hoarding some Amazon gift cards that he's got, you know, from Christmas and his birthday and such. And, you know, they usually have some sort of expiration timeline on them. And so I was like, um, you might want to cash them in before they go bad. And he goes, well, they can't go bad. They're plastic, dad. And I went, um, no, kind of the right idea, but no. So we went through and we cashed them all in. Little That little boy of mine was holding almost $100 worth of gift cards for Amazon. Oh. So is that, yeah. a common, is that a common gift? I've never given or received one of those. Is that something that your family does? Uh, it usually happens for the family that doesn't spend a lot of time with him. Or, uh, you know, like my, my wife's side of the family they usually send up an amazon card because they're not a hundred percent sure what to get him the other time it happens is when the thing that they wanted to get him sells out and uh-huh. so they amazon card him and say here's the money for you know xyz get it when you can find it on amazon and so it works out really well because he ends up you know buying stuff on amazon that he wants he's able to decide that oh no i don't want that lego set but i'll have this Magic the Gathering set. So while we're on the subject of Amazon, elementop.com slash Amazon. Make all your purchases through there. Cost you nothing. You see no difference. We get a small kickback on it. And so that's, if you want to support the show, we appreciate it. And that's where his favorite button actually takes him. Awesome. But uh, <laughs> So, you know, the, it was just one of those moments where I sat down with him and, and talked to him about, you know, hey, money is your thing. You need to figure out how, to, how you're going to spend it. But you might want to double think about what you're spending on before you pull the trigger. Those words sank in, and he actually sat there for 37 minutes trying to figure out what to buy. It, and he went probably, he had anything between all of it gone to none of it gone to, I think he ended up only spending $46 or something like that. Oh, good. Yeah. So it, it, he, sat down and really pondered his choices and he ended up picking up a couple of things that he was looking to get anyway so see my daughters if they have five dollars they'll spend seven um and i I, it's not through lack of parental parental technique it's it's that they're not getting it um and and you know we'll go somewhere though they'll get five dollars they'll immediately spend all of it then we'll go somewhere hey daddy can i do this yes you can spend every bit of your money on that uh, I don't have any money. Hence the problem. Uh, yeah, we the the one of those traveling carnivals had set up not far uh, from our house, and we passed it almost every day. Um, and every day, can we go there? Absolutely. When you have money to spend on it, well, I don't have any money. Well, there's the problem. See, yep. in life, when I don't have any money, I don't get to do anything. Welcome to life. Yep, I've done that a couple of times with my son, and he after. After, you know, probably 170 billion times, he's actually kind of caught on to the idea, especially since um, now he's old enough that we can actually, you know, slave labor him a little bit. Yes. 
<laughs> so he's been doing yard work for me and, and stuff that I really don't care to do. And a friend of mine hires him up for two hours every Sunday for $10 an hour. Nice. So he's actually a week. You can count on yeah. it. Yeah. And that's, you know, for a 13, 14 year old boy, $20 a week. That's a good chunk of change. Uh, that's good. Yep. Uh, we don't, yeah. in my house, we don't give our kids allowance. They work on commission. So yep. what they, they do X, they get a certain amount of commission for it. And payday is on Friday. Uh, and they collect their pay every Friday. That, that is cool. Yeah. I like that. See, we do, um, parent points is what we call it. You know, we only had to ask you, you know, we said, Hey, can you take out the garbage? You take out the garbage without being asked again. You get a parent point. You get eventually you can have enough parent points to cash in to buy something. And most of the time it's done through elementop.com slash Amazon. Nice. <laughs> because so, we have automatic prime shipping. Will you be buying a new gaming rig through elementop.com slash Amazon soon? No, no. Um, actually what happened is my poor gaming machine. And as of, um, eh, three hours ago, it was, it's been down for over a week. Oh, no. It went down, it went down Monday or, yeah, well, it technically went down that Sunday after the show. The calluses on your thumbs have started to heal by now. We can't let that happen. Well, I've been playing other video games, oh, okay. but my gaming rig has been down. Um, my power supply shorted out, so I had nothing. <laughs> it was a big brick. So I ended up um, finding a new one that I had in a box still, which was nice, because that means I didn't have to buy it anymore. But I didn't realize that this one didn't have the, quite the cord selection that my last one did so i've been pulling and tugging and extending <laughs> power cords for two and a half days but uh yeah so it's it's up and spinning now but it, there for a while we had no plex we had no video games or i had no video games uh, i was limited to my tablet for internet because i don't I'm not going to use my work laptop to do personal stuff on it. So, yeah, it was a lo- it was almost a dark week for me. Wow. You mentioned the power thing. I, I have done that more times than I can count uh, working as a tech where you need to clone a disk and the, the machine has exactly the number of power adapters it needs to for the CD-ROM and the, the drive. So you pull another machine up beside it and pull the cables off of that. You turn them both on at the same time. Yep. yep. I think every tech has done that at some point. Oh, man, yes. I was quite proud when I've had to do that in the past. I was like, got to get this to work. And yeah, awesome, awesome memories there. See, I've cheated. I actually have a a, uh, 12-volt to uh, 5-volt power type thing for uh, the old IDE connectors. So I can plug it just the, the machine. It's for external drives, as they say. So I just plug that in and power that up. And then I don't have to have the second machine anymore. Yeah, I got to the point where actually on my bench, I had two freestanding power supplies just there, plugged in and ready to go because it was such a common problem. Cool. All right. Uh, Enough about reminiscing about jobs neither of us have anymore. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, We just have one bit of listener feedback this week, uh, and uh, it's from Raymond. Uh, he says he heard us talking about cluster uh, software, and it was a lot of fun. He said he had to set up. I had to set up a cluster for our CAE guys, whatever that is, uh, years back, and I was able to get them working with a Rocks cluster. R O C K S. Uh, I've never heard of that. The original hardware was IBM IntelliStation Pros, 
and used some homemade pearl scripts. When the maintainer of that left, it fell to my lap, and I replaced it with rocks using a six Dell R610s as compute nodes and an R710 as the head node and storage base. Last I checked, the uptime on the system and its nodes was past the 1,000-day mark. Wow. Um, it really wasn't bad. If you wanted to just sit and spin what up, I recommend that distribution or flavor of CentOS or however you would phrase that. CentOS, 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 whatever. Also, yes, as a listener, that really sounded like they just, oh, the listener sounded like they really just wanted a network. Uh, and he says, how are your plans to contribute to uh, to software projects coming along? I think it'd be a good idea to put that either in the show notes or during the intro end of it uh, where you continue down the path that you mentioned. Still love the show. Keep on being Awesome. Uh, I think I thought I mentioned it on the show. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I mentioned it before the show. Uh, last month, the month of uh, June, I, I made the dispersal in July. That uh, I talked about that before. You got to wait, make sure all the the tickers settle down before you know how much is coming in. I'm not going to tell you how much, just because I don't, I don't think that's appropriate um, to 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 divulge that. But uh, I sent a check last month to the Audacity project. Uh, for uh, 10% of the the uh, the income, actually, it was a little more than that. The income uh, from from the the show, what you, what you guys have provided via elementopia.com/slash/amazon, and what I get from Linux Academy and and other donations like that. Uh, this month, uh, my uh, goal is to give to the uh, um, Mint Linux Mint. It's, it's the it's the distro we recommend. It's the distro that I personally use. So uh, I'm going to kick some money their way in your name. Um, so I, I will try to make sure I mention that each month. And I, like I said, I thought I had, but maybe maybe it was just something we talked about before we started recording. I think it was one that we talked about what we donated to, and then we didn't have the next month's target yet. Yeah. So uh, if you have a suggestion, um, I'm I'm open to it, but I understand that uh, we will probably get as many suggestions as we have listeners uh, so in the end, I'm going to go with the stuff that I use most um, because that's that's what it's about. It's about paying for what you use, and so and not 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 necessarily the stuff I use personally, but the stuff I use for the show. Um, and that's that's going to be the goal there. I'm I'm sure the you know the Linux Foundation uh, will be in there somewhere, and the uh, Open Source Consortium. There's there's lots of opportunities to to give money in your name, and uh, and I will continue to do that. Awesome. I can't wait. Um, I think Linux spends a good target for month two. Yeah. And then we'll probably do Fedora because we do have a Fedora ambassador on the show. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, <laughs> uh, we'll go from there. Um, but anyway, that, that's that's our only bit of listener feedback. Uh, we had some others that uh, uh, people often write in asking how-to questions. And that's fine. I don't mind that. But it's not really appropriate to put on the show. Uh, so a lot of the stuff I got this week wasn't really appropriate to read. I uh, responded to it or forwarded it to somebody who could respond to it. Uh, so that's the only thing we have this week. We're going to to shake things up a little bit. Instead of going to the news section, we're going to jump straight into the discussion, and then we're going to tag the news on to the end. This is a an effort to try to keep the uh, show length under control a little bit. Uh, you know, I know I've, I've heard from the people who say more more is better, but we clocked in at two o five last week, and that's just a bit much. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, by doing the discussion first, then moving into the news, the news is what always takes the longest. We'll at least be able to make more intelligent decisions about what to do and what not to do. So, there you um, go. this uh, the 
the type of, the topic what's in it for me uh the the idea is the advantages that why why should why should you use open source uh and we're referencing a fairly old article june uh 2014 um if you want to call it an article it's a it's a slideshow which i hate and I, honestly i'm i'm reticent to even link to these people because it's such a badly written and badly orchestrated uh, thing, but I'm going to do it anyway because it is the source matter. Uh, but we're what we're going to talk about is uh, from the standpoint of you're selling open source to your boss. How what what should you say? We're going to run down their uh, nine advantages of open source, uh, and then we will of course talk about our own ideas as we go on. So uh, just just to uh, hey, Mark, should I put that in the uh, the showcase thing? I already did. Oh, you did. Cool. I don't have any way to tell you did that. So is that a notification on my side? I have no Sorry idea. to break the show again. That's okay. We're using a couple of new features in the Google Hangout um, this this week. Uh, the one is is what Seth already mentioned the uh, the showcase where I'm putting the links there. And I think if I'm understanding how that works correctly, that will mean that later, uh, as you're watching this on YouTube after the fact, you'll be able to see the the links. Um, as uh, in time with the show. I'm not really sure how that works, but that's how I think it works. Uh, and the other one is we're using the Q and a, uh, feature as well. So if you have a question, if you're watching live, uh, you can, uh, there's a little link there at the bottom. You can click something there and we'll get notified. And I don't think there's a way for us to respond back to you in text, but the idea is that we'll read it and we'll answer live as we go. So anyway, uh, a little, uh, there. So let's move on to, the nine advantages, according to CIOinsight.com, to open source. Um, and I think it's interesting some of the language they use, so we're just going to go through point by point. Point number one, you will lower cost. Um, I would say that's a half-truth. Yeah. You know, I would definitely call that a half-truth. It is true you'll lower cost on licensing, but uh, that's about it. Most most of the time, what draws people to open source software is the fact that it is free of charge. Um, and a lot of uh, companies and, and governmental agencies will look at that and say, this is a way that we can lower costs. And and my my problem with, uh, partly is the language, you will lower cost. Uh, and that's, you know, that's just not necessarily the case that you will, you might. Um, but... Uh, it's also possible that it will cost you more in the short run to save money in the long run. And, and right. CIOs often don't care about the short run. So say you, you implement, uh, um, uh, Linux mint and, uh, open office or LibreOffice uh, organization wide, you're going to have to have some training. Yep. You're going to have to generate some training materials. You're going to have to, to invest some time in training your people. Now that that would be true moving from office, you know, 2007 to office 2013. Um if you've moved along every step of the way, you may not need to do so much training, but if you do a big leap, you're going to do tra- and a lot of people are doing that. If you're going from XP to 7, you're going to have to do some training. So anytime there's a jump, there's there's training. So I don't think the cost is is more than some other situations, but I don't think it's fair to blanketly say you will lower cost by using open source. Right, well, because you're 
giving up man hours is what it basically boils down to. Right. Yeah, at the very least, you're shifting costs. But many times, open source runs on older hardware, so you're able to keep your hardware longer, and that would be another cost-saving avenue. Yeah. And and I do think, overall, you save money with open source over uh, closed source. I, I, I believe that's a true statement. But it's such a pithy one-liner that I, I think it needed to be expanded a little bit. Point number two, you'll boost quality. Mm. I, I take issue with that. I really do. Um, their, their point is open source is all about improving tech in real time within the industry's finest talent lending support. Um, <laughs> Have you ever tried to get support from the community? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't. I think it's fair to say you will not step down in quality. But the thing is, the the proprietary components are there. They exist because they are quality. I mean, the, the Microsoft, as much as you might hate it, Microsoft has been working at Windows for a long time now. Oh, right? yeah. They're, they're 30 years into this. And yep. they have learned a lot. And Windows Windows 7, Windows 8, once you get all the cruft off of it and... and Go back to a more sane interface, which, by the way, Microsoft has admitted Windows 9 will not use the uh, the tile interface, and they're going to go back to the old uh, desktop model. They recognize that as a failure. Um, once you do that, it is a solid, stable platform. And so I don't think that you gain quality moving from Windows to Linux. I don't think that you gain quality moving from Microsoft Office to, to OpenOffice. I don't think that you gain quality uh, moving from, uh, uh, you know, uh, I just uh, blackboard to uh, uh, Moodle. Moodle. I don't think that you gain quality. It's a lateral move. Yep. I, I really believe that's the case. Well, I think it kind of depends because while you can boost quality, your quality can also suffer. Um, Especially if you haven't done the training part that we talked about earlier. Exactly. Well, or, you know, any type of presentation software compared to powerpoint granted in the last year or two there are things that you can say are on par but i don't think you can say anything has equaled powerpoint you know and there's a lot of there's a lot of desktops that you can say are on par with windows but in a lot of ways windows is still the best uh otherwise it wouldn't still be dominant so while it's very, very possible you'll boost quality. It is equally possible that quality will suffer, or if not suffer, it will take more work to produce the same quality. You know, GIMP is a very stable open source platform, uh, and I think it's comparable to Photoshop, but most everybody who has learned them both uh, would say that Photoshop is easier to pick up. More polished. So it, it, yeah, it's it's not that it's a it's not that GIMP is a lower quality. It takes more effort to produce the same level of quality. Hmm. Yeah, I could agree with that. So I, I don't I don't we're coming down pretty hard on this, but this show has always been about truth in advertising, right? We we tell you the truth, um, and I, and I believe that that our audience trusts us because we're we're totally willing to call a piece of crap a piece of crap. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're willing to call something good. I will praise windows when windows is good. 
I will praise closed source when closed source is the best opportunity. Um, hmm. and, and so, you know, unless it's a Mac, then we might just kind of say nothing on the subject. It, well, you know, my, my, my rant about Mac is that I don't like, I don't like the interface. It's not that it's not good. It's just, I don't like it. Their hardware right. is outstanding. Um, okay. Moving on point number three, you will take control. Uh, and I think that, uh, the only complaint I have about that is the will, uh, you could, take control uh most organizations won't so the idea is that you can take open source you can tweak it you can hack it you can do what you want with it you can mod it like crazy um something you can't do with closed source uh so you could take control i think by and large most people don't right well you know and there's just there's a bs factor here because in a small IT shop where your IT person is already doing everything, he doesn't have time. Whether he has the know-how or not, he doesn't have the time to take control. Yeah. While you have the ability to take control, theoretically, practically, most places don't. Yeah, a great example is uh, my my friends Chuck and Jim who do the, the FOG project. Um, they... They are programmers who work for a school district. They have the school district has hired full time programmers. Um, I I've never heard of that anywhere else. I, I it may be very common. They're the only ones I know of, and so they scratching their own itch um, wanted to create this this enterprise wide coding system, and they created something that works every bit as well as the 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 leading proprietary systems in the bases and much better in some of the other areas. Um, they totally took control, and they used they, they crafted some of their own stuff. They grabbed pieces of other open-source stuff. They, they hacked things together. That's an example of really taking control. But I would say that example is, is really rare. Yeah, I would almost go to say that, that it's so rare that it probably won't ever happen again, and at least not for another couple of years. Um, a lot of the techs that you know are so overworked that they don't have the time, the ten percent time that like Google gives out, or that these guys probably had, you know, maybe a little bit more ten percent time, in order to do a, a project that would benefit the comp- the school in general. Um, it's an it's an ideology that I think every place should have, but it's one that I don't think is going to happen because everyone is so focused on task oriented instead of you know getting more bang for your buck all around yeah, when i was working at the school system i coded i custom coded things i would see a need and i would i would fill write a, a program to do it yeah thank you big weld see a need <laughs> fill a need um i just watched You're that welcome. yesterday as a matter of fact I, me too <laughs> <laughs> um and but you know that's i think what seth is 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 alluding to is that it was that sort of thing here's the need i'm going to code something just kludgy enough to get through to fill that need and then I'm going to move on. It's not so much as taking control as as keeping your head above water. Yeah. All right. The the next point, what are we up to point four now? Is you'll, ins- you'll ensure continuity. Actually, I totally mm. agree with that one. Um, even if op- open source projects come and go, you, you're not forced to change with them. Um, you can con- okay. continue to use that old CentOS 3 server if you want to. Uh, so I think that's I think that's valid. Now it's entirely possible that your favorite distribution, say Ubuntu, will decide to dump 
uh, something you really like, say Gnome, and replace it with something that's garbage, say Unity. Um, you know, hypothetically, hypothetically, you know, hypothetically, that, that sort of thing could happen. But you also always have the option to go back. So I really think that is true of open source. What do you guys think? Yeah, I would agree you with know, that. The only problem with continuity, though, it, it, well, continuity is a great thing. I, I love the fact that you know open source does give you the opportunity. If somebody blows up something, you can roll back to a different version and still keep trucking. Um, but on the same note, it, let's say the open source community behind LibreOffice dried up and went away, and there was no more Le- open office. Um, their format is at least in a format that can be used by other people in different projects, right. which I think is more the bet, more of the point to the matter than the fact that, you know, you can roll back. Um, yeah, try yeah. to, try to open a Microsoft publisher document with any other version of Microsoft publisher. Um, yep. it's not going to happen. I mean, we, uh, I've, I've seen that, uh, Visio, the, the company where I work uses Visio. Some people have the new version of Visio. Some people have the old version of Visio. The two don't like to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, so you don't see that in open source because, generally speaking, uh, because open source is really uh, continuity is at the core. Yeah. Right. But sometimes you keep continuity and the continuity is great right up till the pro- time the project stops True. unexpectedly. It was, it was here today with an awesome website and a great online community. And tomorrow you get a 404 error when you try to access. That's it. entirely true. So, you know, while true crypt was kind of proprietary, it was originally started with open source. Um, and the thing is you can still use true crypt today. It's still very secure, but there's, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. Now, because it was open source, people have, you know, kind of, they've started to try to fork it and stuff and with mixed results. But, you know, the, the commercial places, you know, they're commercial and you can say, Hey, this company's been losing a billion dollars a quarter. Um, maybe we should think about migrating off of them. And they typically, <laughs> yeah, they typically don't die over, you know, overnight usually you have some time to see it coming with an open source you know when that teenage guy finds a girlfriend finally all of a sudden this project just hasn't <laughs> been updated in a year and and you use that that was your business model was you know piggy packing on this 15 year old guy until one time he went to a porn site instead of a code site and then you never hear from him again so continuity is great and it, you, you can have a smooth perfect road that ends in a brick wall so you'll ensure continuity you're also it your wrecks are going to be more magnificent than they would if you were in a closed source great great product, example seth one of my favorite projects that i loved dearly was italc um yep. a group remote yes, control thing ITALC. um and it appeared dead there was over a year between updates um well actually say i'm looking at it now it was updated uh march 2011 and then june 2011 and then august 2011 and then nothing until august 2013 two years went by wow. without an update um and then another year went by july 2014 uh before there was an update um so you know july 2014 great that's recent so he's back at it awesome uh but as far as i know there is one maintainer again it's open source anybody can do it but currently 
there's a single maintainer and this isn't his full-time job and he releases stuff when he releases it. So that that is definitely a downside. However, the old version of Italk, the 2011 version, still works just fine. So there is that right. continuity there, but you you make a valid point that um, things may stagnate. Um, you know, VNC has stagnated. Nobody is really working on VNC anymore. Maybe that's because it's as mature as it's going to get. Yeah, uh, maybe it might not. be the end of its life cycle. Yeah. Uh, now, the Ultra VNC guys are still working on it, but they're adding features to it. They're not fixing the code. They're not They're not making the core better, at least in, in my experience. I, it, I haven't used it in a while. I haven't had need to on a large scale. Um, so, and, and, and then what they're doing is they're releasing things in a, uh, a more closed source. So of course you can't close source it, but they're, they're more money making sort of way. So, uh, it's, it's just an interesting thing where yes, continuity is always going to be there, but it, it may be a double edged sword. Continuity can also mean stagnation. Yeah. And, and what was the, um, what was the media center? Was it, it wasn't uh, bought. Kaltura. No. no, there was one that was, they went like into a Roku type model, but all, you know, they were free and they were open source until they got a good product and then they closed course it and said no more open source oh. stuff for you. Oh, uh, remember yeah. We, I remember being really mad about that. And so much so that I don't even remember what it was. I've, they've, I'm done. Yeah. They were the best one out Boxy. there. Boxy. And we loved them. Boxy. 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 The boxy yeah. box. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was free and it was, it was doing great. It was maturing until all of a sudden they said, Hey, this is good enough. We can close source it and make some money off of it. So that's kind of, let me do a quick search for boxy. I, I, they're residing, at least in my mind, in the where are they now uh, category. Um, yeah. Let's see if they, because they released that boxy box and the, in, and the industry went, nah, nah, nah. Yeah. The um, industry went, you yeah. screwed us, we'll screw you. Uh, we're pleased to <laughs> announce that Boxy will be joining Samsung. Sincerely, the Boxy team. That's what you get when you go there now. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> July 10th Excellent is when example. it officially yeah. died. Excellent. July example. 10th. Hmm. Um, okay, moving on along. This next one is just dumb. Just dumb. I almost don't want to even say it. Point number five, your your department will get smarter. What? Really? Uh, and I, because you're using open source, your guys are going to have to learn more. Okay. I can sort of believe that, but more educated doesn't mean smarter. Um, and your department. Uh, Thanks, just, Dor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's particularly to say you will, you know, it's their point is through both open source communities and internal collaboration, your tech team will get a better sense of overall IT practices, resources, and tools out there to best serve your organization. <sighs> Moving on. That's just, yeah, dumb. it's just a, it's a bad, it's a bad headline. They, they needed, they only had eight tips and the, the title they were given was nine. So that was one they threw in there. I, that, that's just dumb. No. Open source will not make your staff smarter. Sorry, it's just not going to do it. And it may not even make them better at their job. In fact, uh, I often uh, refer to things like that as like an organ transplant. The day after the organ transplant, you're laying in the hospital in a lot of pain on immunosuppressants and high doses of antibiotics. And you're thinking, why in the world did I do this? I felt better yesterday than I do today. This was a terrible choice. (laughs) A year later, 
you're doing you're out playing tennis again and and feeling better and it's totally worth it but a lot of people can't get past that short-term hump they can't get past that that two-week stay in the hospital uh so moving dumping closed source and moving to an open source model is a lot like an organ transplant at first it's going to suck a lot i want you know there's fud um fear uncertainty and doubt what is the opposite of fud because that's what marketing (laughs) (laughs) Marketing. (laughs) nice i like that marketing is the opposite of fud that's good okay uh number six this is they 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 hedge their bets on this one all the others have been will your security could benefit um okay Uh, open source open source in general is built with security in mind Whereas other things are often built with shipping in mind, okay, I'll, I'll I'll concede that your security could benefit, could. Yeah, you, you can't know, really. Answer, um, there's not we much were, else to answer on that one. Um, your security could benefit, but if you're still getting uh, micro or macro enabled spreadsheets <laughs> that you know do a data scrape and then dump it out to an email and send it, um. Those can be coded for open office just as easily as they can be for Microsoft Office. Yeah, um, we were talking about open source in uh, where I work in one of our department meetings. And, of course, everybody brought up, well, what about Heartbleed? Open source is insecure. And, you know, I, I just said two words in response, or I just one sentence. Have you ever heard of Patch Tuesday? I mean, <laughs> it's the exact same thing, but because it's Microsoft, you accept that, oh, this is just an upgrade, uh, but oh, it's open source, it's insecure, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I think you're, I think this is a place where they could have used, um, your security will benefit because open, it's like the heartbleed thing when it was found out it was fixed. Boom. It was done. It's, your security happens on a faster timetable. And if you're going to commit to open source, part of that commitment involves keeping the stuff up to date. And if you do that, you'll be more secure than keeping proprietary stuff up to date. I actually have a great title for this slide. Instead of being the your security could benefit, it, they should have said your baseline security is better. Because that, that you have to agree with. The base of the security system of Linux is better than the base of just about anybody else. But to, let's, to be fair to Microsoft, yes, they do release stuff every Tuesday, and there's usually one or more critical vulnerabilities. But almost all of those can't happen if you're following basic principles. If you're not running as admin, if you're not running Flash and JavaScript uh, in everything, those things can't happen. Windows is-, is very secure. Uh, they they get a bad rap about that, you know, and and I I often like to joke, you know, Microsoft uh, Patch Tuesday today, twenty nine vulnerabilities were patched, or as Linux users call that, every day, every day I log into my Linux machine, my little thing is bouncing saying there are updates. I don't consider that a bad thing. That's a good thing. Bugs are being found and being fixed and being pushed out. They're not waiting a month. However, you know, security is a moving target no matter what, uh, whether you're closed source or open clo- source. Which is why I said the baseline would be would is better. I don't know that I agree with that, but but well, it, it's more of the practice because if you're baselining, if you're looking at Linux as a baseline, they're running as standard users. The root root or admin account is secured. Which, if you're following those base security, those base factors in Windows, then you have a secure Windows box. Yeah, and a lot of the buggy stuff doesn't run on it, <laughs> so that helps. There you go too. 
Uh, anyway. Uh, okay, their next point. Okay, this gets me because it's a dumb point and it's bad grammar. Um, your internal users will inc- encounter less bugs and fix them faster. It's fewer bugs, not less. You're a writer. That's your job, idiot. Uh, secondly, um, no, that's just dumb. Fix them faster, maybe. Absolutely. Um, fewer bugs? No. That's a that's not a bogus statement. 100% yep. bogus. I love the bug they put on there. Yes. You will have a beetle or ladybug on your inner key uh, if you use open source, apparently. Yeah, I don't. Your internal <laughs> users will encounter fewer bugs. Your internal users won't fix them faster. Definitely. Right. You know, maybe the bugs will disappear faster. But, yeah, there's some truth in what they're saying if you can get through the way. It, it's like, I don't know, it's like somebody wrote this in Chinese and then translated <laughs> it to Japanese and then gave it to uh, somebody working in Bangladesh to translate to English. It's just, it's not, it's not good. I'm thinking maybe this is not correct. Um, <laughs> that I don't even, this next one is... Uh, well, I'll just read it. You won't be forced to buy upgrades. All right. For the most part, that's true because in open source, you're generally not forced to do anything, uh, to buy anything. Uh, but the upgrade cycle goes on and, yeah. you know, generally upgrades are a good thing. Um, but yes, you won't, you won't find yourself obsoleted because the thing that you liked is no longer supported uh, and and it's, you're forced to upgrade it. But we have talked about, uh, earlier about the stagnation factor that happens. You know, but but what they said here is really a lie because there's nothing that forces you to upgrade off of XP. True. You know, yeah. I mean granted you have marketing pressures that try to force you off, but the exact same thing like, like you, is, if you want security updates, for example. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, go to Ubuntu 9.4 you know, it, even if you had the, the five year model that's dead, you can still use it, but you're obsolete. Now you're pressured to upgrade to get the latest stuff to fix and the latest technologies and the latest software out there. So you might not be forced to buy upgrades, but the same pressures that force you to upgrade windows are the same pressures that force you to upgrade linux or whatever else minus cost well actually the exact same pressures because anyway this this article this slide is garbage how do you read that <laughs> well really i could go either no no i think this slide is pure garbage i mean it's true in the sense you won't have to buy any upgrades but you'll be forced to upgrade regardless of what software you use you know i you're, sure. I I, ha- I have nothing to add to that, but yet I feel compelled to add to it. Um, there there is always pressure to move forward, and and that that's because moving forward is almost universally a good thing. Um, but you you they the on the surface of it, they're absolutely right. You won't be f- pressured to buy upgrades because you generally don't buy anything, right? Um, say well, Black Lab Linux, right? They sell that. You buy it. The next version comes out. They're not going to pressure you to buy the next one. But if you want the next one and you want it right away, you're going to buy it. So it's, yep. the, the, like I said, the same pressures are there. They're just in a different world. 
like I said, I had nothing to say. I just felt like I had to say something. So I did. You did good, Mark. Number nine, the most ridiculous one of all. They should have called this five somewhat possible advantages of open source. And this would have been a much better um, article. Number nine, you can elevate your team's profile. Their logic there being when IT professionals take lead roles in supporting open source community, it casts your team and your company in a positive light. Bull. It's just not true. Nobody cares whether your team contributed code to open source. Now, we we have we have done shows uh in the past where we've mentioned that, you know, Samsung uh, did this contributed this much code and and uh, that sort of thing. We're the the geekiest of the geeks and we only mention it once in a while. The rest of the right. world is not going to care. There's no way it's going to elevate your team's profile. What it may do is uh, enhance one of your team members' resume so they can go somewhere else and get a better job. Well, you know, there's a lot of truth in what you said. And wait till some open source product crashes and there's no support number to call. Then you don't want your your team's profile elevated at all. But, you know, you gain a lot of goodwill in the technology sector if, you if you do a good job of promoting your contributions to open source you know, but again I, I just want to point out that this is yeah. the advantages of using open source if i'm a cio i read this as a disadvantage i now have to pay my staff to support other people's software that's that's how i'm reading that right you know and a lot of the 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 benefits there are the intangible benefits so you know you can be in Garner's Magic Quadrant, woohoo, whoop-de-doo, but uh, Garner's Magic Quadrant doesn't, you know, automatically, you know, there's no cash prize that comes with that. There's just the <laughs> industry recognition that can lead to future revenue. And while that can be true here, you know, if if you've done a lot and you've developed this program or this market in technology, then, you know, you can reap the benefits of that through support contracts. But, you know, there's no, not necessarily an advantage. There's also a detractors because now, you know, there's, there's the headache that comes with that as well. So while it's an advantage, it's also a disadvantage. And as I said in the pre-show, this could be called Schrodinger's, uh, <laughs> Schrodinger's advantages of software. Because every because one of these statements are both true and untrue at the same time. At the same time. They are. Depends on when you observe it. Correct. And observing it changes your yes. opinion of it. I, I'm not going to say who, but somebody recently in a casual conversation said to me, I'm really into quantum physics. And this person I know has no idea what quantum physics is. They read about something. They used, they saw those two words together on the back of a cereal box at some point and knew that it was trendy. And so I so wanted to just rip into them about, you know, even my super basic understanding of quantum physics and, and leave them speechless. But I chose not to, because that would have been a jerk thing to do. But, uh, that that just it came to my mind fun. when when you when you talk about Schrodinger's cat, right? That's 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 popular quantum physics, right? Everybody who's yep. seen an episode of Star Stargate uh, SD one uh, knows what Schrodinger's cat is. Uh, but to for somebody who doesn't know 
anything and i'm i'm so hesitant to not say who it is because i want to um to say i'm really into quantum physics is just one of those things i will never forget i'm sorry i broke the show it just it popped into my mind there well that's nothing new yeah (laughs) so if you say something like i'm into quantum physics you better be able to back that up um and if you say I'm in, uh, there are there are benefits, advantages to open source. You better be able to back that up, cioinsight.com, because you did a crappy job of this. We wrote a better article for you than <laughs> than than whoever you hired to write this. Um, and we didn't have to lift a keyboard. Yes, um, <laughs> there are advantages, and and the real advantages that they didn't even mention, uh, you know, or like the the expandability, the the fact that there are plug-in modules for freaking everything uh you know they didn't even mention that and i think that's that's a mistake that's a uh that's a, a real benefit that that people ignore um the fact that that when you buy uh, a, a closed source product you have to hope that they have a partnership with some other closed source product but in the open source world you can you can expand and grow beyond uh what that what that thing is and and that's a huge advantage that people don't even know about. And the fact that one of the things that I consider an advantage is that for the most part, people who work on open source, that's their passion. People who work on closed source, that's their paycheck. So you get, I really believe you get better code and better work out of people who are choosing to do it in their basement on the weekend, as opposed to the people who are sitting in cube number 17 and doing it to get a paycheck. I think the code is better in in open source products i don't know that because i can't see the code in closed source products yeah. but that's i believe that's an advantage that people aren't aren't uh don't talk about often enough i think that that open source gets a bad rep for being things cobbled together and loosely packaged but that's that may be true that may be that this project is that thing i have cobbled together several things but each of those components is rock solid and the fact right. that they're open allows somebody to cobble them together. And in closed source, you can't do that. And if, and if you if you have an open source shop, um, your IT staff will be freer to cobble things together. They'll be freer to make combinations that you didn't hadn't thought of before. So once again, we come back to the real value of open source is freedom, in that you're you can you have the option to think outside the box. What guys? What are some what are some advantages they didn't mention? Start with you, Chris. Um, some of the advantages I think would go with open source is the fact that there's a lot of eyeballs that hit that source code, so that it's I would say it's like you were saying earlier about having better code. It's more it's heavy. No, it's not heavier vetted, but it's um, how would you word that? It it the code it, itself goes to a more more eyes to find the bugs and encoding errors. Yeah, it's that all it's that all old uh cliche that the given enough eyes all bugs are shallow. Um yeah. personally I don't believe that. I I think I think Heartbleed and OpenSSL proved that's not the case. Uh but I understand that it's a maxim and people believe it that just because there are more people working on it something is less likely to have bugs. Well, I would say the bugs would be less um frequent. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't find them well look how look at let's go with the open source that um open ssl one that bug was found just recently and it it's only it's was in there for three years but three years how many people have looked at it yeah 
you know, that's, that's my point is that in more, in, in new, especially new open source softwares, more eyeballs are going to hit it than old kludgy, no, kludgy, I don't want to say kludgy. I want to say more, more rooted f- programming infrastructure. So like, yeah. So you're, you're going to have, you know, a, a hot new program that everyone wants to have their fingers on is going to have more eyeballs hitting that source code than the newest version of Photoshop. Yeah. And that's really what made the Heartbleed thing so, so disastrous or potentially disastrous is that OpenSSL is infrastructure. It's, it's one of those things. It's a brick. You're building yep. something. You grab the brick called OpenSSL and you plug it in to your wall and you mortar around it and you keep going. Nobody's looking inside that brick anymore. Um, yeah, TrueCrypt. Right. You know the 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 TrueCrypt audit process uh, is because somebody realized you know what nobody's looking inside this brick. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right in that some of the things that that stay hidden are because there aren't any eyeballs. But as you just demonstrated, that's true in both open and closed source. Exactly. But I mean, you can't look at closed source. So if your team for closed source to do the coding is only five deep, you're going to have a harder time finding it, that those bugs, even in the infrastructure programs, yeah. than somebody, you know, than the open source model where, yeah, you may only have one or two a year look at it, but you're having fresh eyes every time it's opened. Yeah. Like the, uh, the Apple, the recent go to fail. Apple, yep. you know, there's a guy or a small team of guys whose job is to look at that code, and somebody finally found it, but it's been a problem for a long time. And the, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, there was a line of code, uh, specifically the code was go to space fail, that made all security checks null and void. It just didn't do it. Uh, it put on a little show and and things lit up, but it didn't do it, and nobody yep. nobody noticed it for a long time, including the bad guys who didn't know that they should take advantage of it. Seth, what do you think are some advantages they didn't look? Let's write their article better for them. Well, one of the advantages is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, obviously, this article is more targeted towards people who develop uh, and roll stuff out like that. And so if you're going to write an office reading program, you know, a, an office functionality program, you don't have to, like, well, how would we get something to look like a page to show up on the screen? You can go to the open source project and you can look through the code and go, oh, this is how you do that. Well, I think if we change this and if we change that, so you don't, you know, the wheel and, you know, and that's become a cliche is you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but, you know, think of all the things that just assume a wheel in transportation. What if you had to try to invent a wheel every time you wanted to design a car? Um, you know, I mean that you, if you can, if you can grasp that in your mind, then you can understand the benefit of open source technology is you're getting to see what other people did. And then you're refining a process rather than, you know, it's like if you draw a complete, draw a perfect circle, well, I don't think you can draw a perfect circle, but you look at it and then you compare it to another circle and go, oh, you know, so you just, you're, you're not starting at zero. Yeah. yeah that's what I would that's say. That's a good one. Yeah. That's very good. It is important to be able to, to have the ability to draw on the examples of others. So if you're writing, uh, a, uh, trying, if you're writing a, an operating system today and you want to emulate Windows, you can't go look at how Windows does it. 
they have API calls and you can sort of reverse engineer. That's what the Java team did or the, the Android team did, right? They took Java and they looked at the API calls and they rewrote it. So that's a good example of, of moving from a, you know, a closed source thing to their own open source version of it. They, they took this virtual machine and based on the IP, uh, uh, API calls re- reverse engineered it. The in the open uh, open source world, you don't have to reverse engineer something; you can re-engineer it, and that yep. that gives you a lot of power. Yeah, you right. get to stand on the sh- the shoulders of giants. Right. That's that's my biggest thing that I um now that I'm thinking about things that that would have been one of the ones I would have said. Not only do you get to start, you don't have to start at ground zero, but you get to stand on the shoulders of giants. That's right. You know, look at Unix. Yeah, you get to you get to look at the 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 work that the pioneers did, and you can learn from that. Um, and you know, as as we've said many times uh, before, that the ability to learn from open source is one of its greatest strengths. It it can be your teacher. Another thing that can be your teacher is our friends over at the LinuxAcademy.com, who can teach you uh, how to be how to go from being a, a Linux novice to being a Linux administrator uh, by way of their step by step video courses. But it's so much more than just video courses. Uh, it's you know anybody can go to YouTube and type in how to do stuff in Linux and find things. But what you're going to find there is at LinuxAcademy.com is not just uh, videos. Even though their videos are top quality and have been certified as such by two independent outside agencies, but along with the videos, you get uh, study guides in print, so that you can they're time coded so that you can read what you're what you're doing as you go. You also get your own uh, virtual lab that you you can uh, move along with the videos and you can do what they're doing. You, you get you get practice exams so that as you're going through, you can take this quiz and make sure you really understood the thing that you under thought you understood. Then when you're all done with that, you can you can even take a practice certification exam so that you you know that you're totally ready. And if you can pra- pass that practice certification exam, you can most likely pass the actual certification exam. And, and I say that because so far they have a 100% sex success rate of people who've reported that I took this practice exam and I did this. You have all these things, uh, all these wonderful pieces laid out in this module system. Where you log in and you say, I want to learn how to be uh, uh, an LPI level one certified professional. Teach me what I need to do that. You you enroll yourself in that module. It pops out a, a series of courses, tells you approximately how long it's going to take, tells you what you're expected to do, and it walks you through the step. It's it's a college course online in 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 their system there with a professor who's a real world professional at the job teaching you everything you do not only that but there's a a community inside there once you get inside there they have forums where the where the professors the teachers interact with you you ask a question you suggest a feature they're right on the spot about uh, re- responding to you and building those things out all of this stuff you can get started with for a buck Pay them a dollar for a 14-day trial. For 14 days, you can walk around, you can kick the tires, you can check things out, you can download videos, you can look at the the forums, you can play with the the servers, you can see what you like. And then after that, it, when when you're convinced, I'm not even going to say if, when you're convinced you're ready to go, you can start for, you know, if you just want to go month to month, 25 bucks a month. A couple of pizzas a month will get you this high quality education. But if if that's too much for you, if you if you really for sure you're going to commit to this, buy a year in advance and you get $19 a month if you pay annually. You're not going to find this quality at this price anywhere else online. I stand by that statement. And when you go there, when you sign up, use the code everydaylinux and let them know that we sent you. 
Yeah. And just so everyone knows that, you know, they not only do they show the correct way of doing things, they also show the gooey way of doing things. So <laughs> the correct and the incorrect, right? Well, I didn't say that. I said the correct way, you know, because most of the time if you're administrating a server, you're you're not always going to have a GUI available. So you need to be able to know both ways both the GUI and the command line in order to be a full-functioning Linux administrator. So, yeah, it, they show everything. It's not just use this GUI tool, follow the buttons. It's the GUI tool and the command line way. Yeah, I think it's really impressive that, you know, you're not just learning stuff to pass a test even though it will help you pass the test that you need to be considered for a job, but they teach you the real world way to do it. You know, so much of learning in traditional classrooms are, you know, designed to transfer knowledge because, you know, they have to have a reason to write these textbooks. So they put information in there and then you have to learn that information and then you get a degree in something and then you go to your job and you learn how to apply that degree. Well, with the Linux Academy, you learn some theoretical stuff, but you're learning the nuts and bolts of Linux administration from how to install and configure Linux and whatever else you need to do. And then you're learning the way, because let's face it, most people who interview you aren't going to know what the heck they're talking about for Linux. They just know certain questions to ask. They have a, they have a sheet of like what this guy said the word Linux, or at least I thought he did. So I'm going to ask him these 10 questions. Um, and you know, if you know Linux, you know the answers to those 10 questions. Or if you don't know the answer, you know what they're talking about and you can carry on a conversation about the question. So it, it's really cool. And if you put the time in, you will learn, you know, and I recommend, I recommend you do the 14 day trial and then I recommend you do, you buy just one month where you get in and you give it an honest shake and say, Hey, I do want this. And at the end of that time, if you want to stay involved in the computer technology support infrastructure world, then go the six months or a year to save you money on that. And you'll be, you'll be glad you did. Every, uh, uh, LinuxAcademy.com. Use the referral code EverydayLinux when you sign up. Now for our This Week in History, this whole computing thing began pretty much right here. Yes, uh, July the 25th, 1837. So I'm busting out some history history on you. The first commercial use of an electrical telegraph is successfully demonstrated by William Cook and Charles Wheatstone, um, between Houston and Camden Town in London. You know, and the telegraph is basically a dot or a dash, very much almost the exact same thing as binary, binary on or exactly. off. So they, they, you know, they weren't able to transmit, you know, a gigabit per second, <laughs> but you know, that's what it was in 1837. Think about that. Binary in some form has been used since 1837. So the wow. internet began. July 25th, 1837. Um, you know, if I guess if your finger were fast enough, you could do a gigabit per second. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think so. But you know, whenever you used to have to text by like the letter C was you hit like two, three times yes. kind of thing. 
you know, and you can Google the videos, but they would show these, uh, you know, they would have these two guys sitting on one side of the stage and these two guys sitting on the other and there'd be a telegraph between one and the other two would have their te- their uh their cell phones and they would be given these cards and they would say go and they would look at them and you see this guy with his phone and then you know you see the tel- the telegraph and the telegraph guys were faster you know and and now you can just hit a button and say you know yo man what's up and you've transmitted the message, but whenever that was what texting was, um, when it, when your phone was a phone and not a miniature computer, telegraph was still faster for transmitting a message than texting was. So, you know, we're, I used the phrase, uh, just the other day, we're living in Buck Rogers time. I was, I was in a, uh, an unfamiliar part of Atlanta, um, recently, uh, uh, just Friday, and I was. It was downtown. It was rush hour. I knew how to get home, but I didn't know the best way to get home. So I touched the uh, the Bluetooth button in my car that activated the mic on my phone, and I said, "Google, show me the fastest way to get home." And it said, "Here are your directions." Turn left, and I and I I was like, "This that's totally something Buck Rogers would have done." I just asked my car. I didn't ask for directions. I didn't tell it where home was. I didn't. I just said, "Show me the fastest way to get home." And it said, "BD BD BD, okay, Buck," and and went to town. And it was just it just blew me away the times that we're living in. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes though, they don't quite know what they're talking about. And I'll, I'll go, that's not the fastest way. So I'll go yeah. the way I know until it reroutes. Yeah. Uh, but it's you know, amazing I, stuff. I, I love it when you're tr- cruising along and it pops up and says a faster route is available. Would you like to take it? Dumb question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Accident on 75. Would you like to route around? Just do it. I don't, don't ask me. Just do it. Uh, it's it's amazing yeah. the times we live in where you can talk to your phone and your phone talks back. Uh, That's awesome, though. So, and it all began 1837, indirectly anyway. All right, on to the tech news portion of the show. What happens when Web 2.0 overstays its welcome? Uh-oh. Hold on. <laughs> um, okay, you know, you've heard, you know, I love Craigslist. You can go there and you can find things to rent, uh, or buy or whatever. And there is a story of, um, uh, Air, Airbnb. It's, you know, you can go, if you're going to be traveling somewhere, you, somebody will rent out a room or if you've got a spare room, you can put it up here and then somebody will come and stay there and you can be sort of like a bed and breakfast. And, you know, it's a very web 2.0 y kind of thing to do well what happened was this guy um stayed longer uh than he wanted to but because it was in california in california there's a law that if you stay somewhere 30 months uh you can't just make them leave you have to evict them and that's a whole legal process so 30 uh, months 30 days. I'm sorry. Okay. If you stay somewhere 30 days, you are considered a tenant. And at that point, you get legal rights and they can't just like kick you out. They have to evict you. Um, but yeah, it was just, uh, and it's kind of a neat story. You can go there and read what happened, but the Airbnb place, um, they're going, at least they say they're going to make good on the amount of time it takes and the finances it takes to get them out. But here's a thing where, you know, 
you can meet some really cool people doing things online. You know, I've sold and I've purchased things on Craigslist and I've met really cool people, but I also know people who have gotten jacked, you know, uh, by doing stuff on Craigslist. So you have to be careful. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things, let the buyer beware and let the seller beware too, because somebody will come to buy something from you and, uh, they'll end up taking more <laughs> than you thought they were coming for. So, Anyway, just Airbnb because, you know, and again, this was something specific to California. I don't think this would have worked in Texas. You know, she just would have took out her gun and said, it's time for you to go. But, you know, California is not quite that way. The laws of the state kind of overrid what Airbnb was doing. And he stayed there for more than a month and that gave him legal rights, even though it was her house that she owns and makes payments on. Yeah, there was another story like that on, I don't remember what news channel I watched it on, but it was a nanny who was brought in and she stayed longer than whatever her contract was for, but the owners of the house couldn't kick her out because she, her stuff was still in the room. It was a locked room, so they couldn't, yeah, it was just crazy when I was listening to that story. I was like, wow, talk about, you know, a creepy thing that someone could come into your house, stay there 30 days and now technically own a room. Um, that's pretty wild. You know, there's a thing in, uh, when it comes to the stock market, you only invest in what you know. Um, if you're going to get involved in anything, don't fall for the marketing hype. You need to do some research to see if, to see what is legal and what just what happens because people just do it, you know, Hey, everybody uses this service to do X, Y, and Z. Well, did you know, technically it's illegal to do Z? Um, you know, just, just know what you're getting involved in. And I mean, that's true in all of life, not just the web. Yep. This is a fascinating story. The, the the person contacted Airbnb and said, look, the tenant says they've paid to extend their time. Have they? And Airbnb basically replied with, oh, um, <laughs> not terribly helpful. Uh, and, and, you know, it's like, okay, well, you can't tell me they've paid. I don't have any money. I'm going to, I'm going to shut the power off. That'll get them to leave. And then they s- fired back a response saying that my, my, hundred thousand plus dollar a year job depends on electricity and if you shut me off you're going to be criminally viable for that and wow what a mess i i think they will be done with airbnb <laughs> yep uh, i i uh am fond of rent i say fond of i've done it once and i enjoyed it uh renting condos through places like flip key or or uh um vacationrentals.com and that's kind of cool uh but when i went to took my family to disney last year i totally screwed up it was entirely my fault i misread the date and stayed a day longer um and i i I was at daytona daytona beach with my family and i got a call from the owner saying the cleaning person is there to clean up and your stuff's still there what's the deal and i went what i was supposed to stay there and then i you know because i had a smartphone and i'm living in the buck rogers age i pulled up my contract and went uh oops sorry about that um i'm three and a half hours away there's nothing i can do we'll be staying another night (laughs) and and you know they billed me for it and it was fine but you know i could have really caused a lot of problem for that person if they'd had another guest coming in 
Um, you know, I could have blown up somebody else's Disney vacation because I screwed up. Uh, so there's, you know, and that's just my one uh, limited experience. I wasn't trying to be a jerk, but what could I do? We had, I packed everybody up and ran away just then. It wouldn't have helped anything because that had been three and a half hours before I got there. Um, and then I would have had to pack up and, and leave and, and then the other people coming in. So yeah, uh, fortunately they were able to just shunt people and it wasn't a problem, but this, this is an issue is what I'm saying. And it's a, an issue that I've had experience with and I would, I would really consider thinking twice about letting somebody stay in my apartment <laughs> if I wasn't there for any reason. Definitely. Um, I don't. I don't even know how to lead into this next one because, frankly, I'm I'm a little creeped out about it right now. Um, put on your tinfoil hat. Go down in your basement. Um, black out the windows. Blow an air raid siren. Uh, dig a hole because stuff just got real. Yes. Uh, now I will say I have heard some things. I haven't been able to find any documentation that says this is not as big of a deal. Has this article makes it out to be? Oh, uh, what are you doing being reasonable and, and intelligent? Stop that. Just read the article. Well, okay. <laughs> but anyway, I just, you know, I wanted to say because, I mean, when I read this article, I was like, holy crap, you know, um, but internet users, there's this thing called canvas fingerprinting. Um, and I don't understand, I don't understand canvas fingerprinting. And this article doesn't do a good job of, explaining it or at least it didn't to me my first couple of read throughs but basically it tracks it's sort of like how you know there's flash cookies that even if you clear out your cookies the flash cookies stay there and you have to know to go and do them but it's kind of like that on steroids with time travel capabilities um it can track you if you use stuff like Adblock Plus and the uh uh private browser feature of any of your major browsers and again, I don't understand it and I don't know what to do about it. I can't even explain what it is good, except it's a way to track you through, um, basically anything short of tour. Yeah. But uh, Steve Gibson, uh, talked about this on this week's security now. And basically he said, yes, it's true. It does do all that. But what it gives them isn't useful information. It will tell you stuff about your hardware, but. You know, for example, the laptop I'm using, how many thousands of models of this, of exact copies of this laptop were sold? So he, his take yeah. on it was, yes, it's there. Yes, you can't do anything about it. But no, it's not uh, going to be able to track you down to a single person. Um, yeah, uh, it'll just give you give them an idea, yeah. a rough estimate. I, I think I, this has been on my mind for a while. And I think I want to do a show about security. We did a show on, on about how to be secure. I think we should do a show about talking why you should be secure why is it important mm. because it's a question not p many people ever ask they just assume that it's very important that everything you do be private but nobody ever right. talks about why that's important so uh, not for this show but i want to put together something and talk and just have a discussion about should we be as paranoid as we are are we right to to be a tinfoil hat or should we just get over it yeah is it worth it is it worth that time and loss of sleep or whatever it takes for you and while we're going down the creepy alley teenage son discovers deceased father's ghost um ghost car in xbox rally game yeah i actually i thought this was a pretty cool story um 
there's an Xbox and this is the original Xbox, uh, not, not the 360 or the, the one nobody ever actually uses. Um, there was a game called Rally Sports Challenge, whichever I've never actually played, but it's, it's like, you know, it's a driving game. And one of the features of this game is there's this ghost imprint of whatever the fastest car to do that track was. Well, you know, obviously the Xbox is from over 10 years ago, so it's pretty old. Um, this kid's dad had played it. This kid was, um, like six or, you know, he was four or five or six. So even if he could play this game, he wasn't going to be very good. And so his dad was at least in his twenties, uh, well able to do basic driving on a video game. And so, um, his dad had the fastest time on this track. And for whatever reason, this kid later, um, played it and he was always chasing that ghost, you know, and eventually it would just run away and he kept getting closer and closer. And finally he was able to pass it. But then when he would get to the finish line, he would stop and wait for that car to pass him just so he could keep that memory and connection with his father who had passed away alive. I thought that was a pretty cool story. So he's playing his dad. At, the, at this video game 10 years after the fact that's yeah. kind of cool wow. he's still he's still playing the video yeah. game with his dad yeah i just thought that's that was awesome a neat story yeah nice little human interest piece seth yeah thank you yeah i really like that one that's that's uh and i've played lots of there's there's more more games than just the rally sports challenge that have this ghost car feature mm-hmm. um but that's a touching one i've i, I never heard that one before because i like, can even uh mario kart um, there's a ghost cart. So if you're r- trying to beat your own time or someone else's time, that ghost cart will run a- run around ahead of you and taunt you the, old- the whole <laughs> time because they're, you know, if you're a horrible driver in those games, you'll never be able to catch them. Right. All right. And as I said before, we're endeavoring to keep the show uh, a little shorter, so we're running out of time. So I'm going to pick one last news story. And Seth said that he would quit. If we didn't do this this story, and it is Sharknado plus smart bombs equals pure awesome. Uh, smart bulbs, not bombs. Excuse um, me. <laughs> bombs would be better, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but Sci-Fi and Phillips have announced that Sharknado 2, the second one, which, by the way, it comes out the 30th. So, um, what is that? Is that the, the release day of the show? Yes. yes uh, so you can watch this, you can listen to this show in the morning and then hurry up and go out and buy a bunch of smart bulbs from Phillips. And there is a, a sync app uh, using the, the second screen feature that a lot of cable and even some network shows are doing where you watch on the tablet while you're doing, going along with the, um, with the show. Um, it will send, um, signals to the smart uh, bulbs so that they will change color. You know, like, for example, when the storm in Sharknado is getting more close and ominous, um, it kind of does the light track. You know, they have those TVs that kind of have the background lighting around them for ambient lighting. Well, this kind of takes it in with the uh, with the light bulbs in your room that you're watching this. And also, they're also going to release this... Um, for um, the original Sharknado, if you would like have a Blu-ray or DVD of it. I thought it was just, I thought it was pretty neat. Um, 
you know, obviously we love the cheesiness that is Sharknado. And this was just a great way to have a reason to mention it in the context of a technology podcast. I think we need to have a lot, an element OP live tweeting event. The three of us need to be live tweeting Sharknado as it plays on, on <laughs> Wednesday. Uh, what would our hashtag be? EDLSN2? Sure. I, that works for me. Um, the, the, <laughs> I, I just, it's the Twitter traffic around this is going to be unreal already. Um, oh, yeah. And, and of course, it's going to be replayed over and over, but, um, I'm just, I'm totally looking forward to this. It's as ridiculous as it is. I'm totally looking forward. Unfortunately, I probably won't be able to, I'll have to go lock myself in the bedroom to watch the, the 7 p.m. Eastern time one because my kids are still up right then and and I don't want to subject subject them to this they they're they're not ready for those nightmares yet um but the 9 p.m. encore one maybe that would be the better one daddy has to work at home honey can't <laughs> talk to you tonight <laughs> nice yeah I'm gonna have a hard time with that one because of the whole little kids in the room and such a um. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'll be able to do the live tweeting. But when I watch it after the fact, I'll 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 t- I'll record it. I'll DVR it, and then I'll I'll live tweet while I'm watching it. Hmm. I don't know because I, I, I won't be able to, to watch it. I've thought about making a gooey kid ish uh, Twitter handle um, because I haven't used my Twitter in, in so long. I've got like three or four password change requests from. <laughs> the times that Twitter's been hacked in the past, um, but I, I might I might do that. Make up a uh, make up an element op ish handle and live tweet. Although I don't know, you know, here's the thing about the show: there's so many more cameos. They don't have to put as much into the story. Oh yes, because story was the real strength of the first one. Yes, I you know I thought it wasn't <laughs> narrative. That's that's what they were really going for on the first one. Yeah, that's uh, it. All right. That that's it. That's our show folks except for Seth's show closing spectacular on the dev slash random part of the show. What do you got, Seth? Okay, this is a YouTube video I came across a while back, but I've been saving it. Um, it's called Living with Lag, and um, it's an occultist rift experiment. And so Oculus Rift. Uh, yeah, what they do is they put, um, they actually use a Raspberry Pi and it'll show in the video what their setup is and they have it set to like a half second to three second lag and it shows them trying to do things like, um, kind of an aerobics class or even things like cooking or just basically, you know, walking, um, how hard it is to do that whenever what you see is like three seconds after, because if you're turning around to, to get over the frying pan, you know, you stop, but the lag, you went too far. And when you, anyway, it's, it's kind of funny to watch. It's like a three minute video and it is in, um, (laughs) Swedish or it's not in English, but there are English subtitles. So you can watch it muted, um, and not lose any of the dialogue. This is hilarious, watching this guy try to play ping pong. He's just trying to pick it up. And he's right. not, it's not where he was. It's where he was three seconds ago. That is amazing. That, if you've ever been on you know, Second Life or World of Warcraft or something like that, when lag hits, you, you will recognize this behavior. 
I'm going to say, I like it when they do the whole uh, dance, or it's not dance, it's aerobics. And she doesn't even make it to the end of the aerobics class, and she takes the thing off. That's just insane. <laughs> and and this is a you know the the goal here is to to shame people into providing better broadband. Essentially, well, what this is. Yeah, and plus there's an ad at the end for some company super fast broadband speed. Um, but it's <laughs> it's just funny to watch. <laughs> and so I thought you know thought I would share this with the Element Op Faithful. <laughs> the girl at the the aerobics class just kept shoving somebody because she didn't know she was there. Oh, and it, yeah, this the is pancakes. Awesome. Oh my god, the pancakes. <laughs> oh, what a mess! You have to watch this. Um. <laughs> How? Oh my god! Oh, I, I forgot about the bowling. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Life with lag. This is this is what life would be like if we had to live with lag. That's amazing. This is better than those drunk goggles shows. <laughs> yes, this is uh, hilarious. The bowling just about scares me to death. Yeah, and, and at some point it shows what the lag view is. So you're seeing the little portion of the screen what the view is doing, and it's it's just funny. Yeah, this girl is. It's four feet past the foul line bowling and doesn't know it. Oh, great stuff. Uh, this is a, this is what YouTube is for. Thank you, Seth. You have ruined my productivity. Actually, not just at work tomorrow, right now during the show. I can't continue doing the show. Yeah. He just the whacked the girl broken. in the head with the ping pong ball, uh, with a ping pong paddle. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, Okay. Wow, I have to stop watching uh, because I want to watch it again. Gonna... It's like just under three minutes. Just three minutes, okay. Yeah, uh, I want to watch it again though because that's yeah that that was horrible. Get up to a thousand megabits fiber to get today at ume.net. I want that. Of course, it's not available here in the U.S., but uh, wow, uh, great! I I. That's just awesome. Thank you, Seth. That was awesome. So uh, now this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can have a voice here. Uh, what do you think? Were we were we un, unfairly harsh on cioinsight.com? Were we not harsh enough? Do you have some comments on, um, you know, uh, your weird experiences with Airbnb? What do you, what do you think? about anything we've discussed are are you uh, do you know that uh, canvassing is is the devil and you think we should talk about it let us know at elementopi.com use the contact us button at the top of the page uh, that will send us a uh, send me a nice email and it goes gets priority in my inbox and that's the best way to do it or you can just send me email directly send all of us email at edl at elementopi.com or if you want your own voice right here alongside mine on the show you can dial 559-IMOP anywhere in North America um, and leave us a voicemail at no cost or if you're outside the U.S., uh, you can uh, just simply send me an audio file, and I will put it uh, on the show. Send me a you know a link to a Dropbox or a Google uh, Drive, something like that. The, you, you're a geek; you know how to do this. Uh, we'll figure this sort of stuff out. And uh, we uh, look forward to hearing from you, uh, Chris, Seth. As always, thanks for being excellent members, uh, excellent co-hosts, uh, listeners. Thanks for for listening. Um, and while I'm talking about listening, elementopi.com/audible. Uh, Check them out there. Make me a few bucks. Make yourself happy all at the same time. Uh, So that's it. I'm calling it. Thank you, folks, for listening. And that ends this episode of Everyday Links.